G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Realfaith.org.au John went to a real estate agent and said, we want to buy a farm. And the real estate agent said, well, who's the we? And John said, well, God and I. And the real estate agent said to John, well, how much money? What are you talking about? And he says, oh, money's no object. My father's a millionaire. And of course, he was talking about his heavenly father, not his earthly father. But with that, the real estate agent decided to take him a little bit more seriously. Welcome to Real Faith, conversations about the impact faith has on our lives and the challenges we go through, helping us today and giving us hope for tomorrow. That's Real People, Real Life and Real Faith with Eric Scadabo. Honey Reifler and her husband, John, are the founders of the Sherwood Christian Rehab Center near Coffs Harbor. And over the years, they've seen many miracles of God at their center, and they have some incredible stories to tell. So for the next few programs, I invite you to sit back and relax and enjoy some of the awesome adventures that Honey and John have experienced over the years. Today, it's Honey's turn, and she'll share a bit of her own story as well as how the Drug Rehab Center miraculously got its start in the first place. Honey Reifler. Welcome to the program. Thank you very much. It's lovely to be able to speak to you. Glad to have you with us. And you're joining us from Sherwood Christian Rehab Center near Coffs Harbor. Is that right? That's correct. Well, thank you for joining us today to tell the story of how this all came about. Where did it all begin? Well, I suppose it all began in in eternity. It was God's (laughs) plan for our lives. Yes, well, that's going way back. (laughs) That's way back. But uh, little did we know it wasn't until... I was 19 and John was 21 that uh, we came to know Jesus Mm -hmm. and that that's really where uh, the involvement, where the story really began. Okay, but we'll back up for you personally. You were born in New South Wales? I was. I was born in a small country town out western New South Wales called Manila Mm -hmm. and I grew up in that Tablelands, that New England area of, of New South Wales. And your husband John, where was he born? He was born in Switzerland, and he came out to Australia as a migrant when he was 21. And then, about 1970, you went to Japan. What happened there? Yes, I'd finished school in uh, Baraba, the little town I I went to school in, Mm -hmm. and I was a Rotary Exchange student in northern Japan. I was the first foreigner to live in this little village called Mm. Sanohe, and it was while I was there that I was really longing for some English language. And in those days, of course, you didn't have access to any English. It was a very uh, isolated little village in Japanese ways. Mm -hmm. And I remembered I had taken a Bible along with me as a special link to my grandmother who'd given it to me when I was 13. Mm -hmm. And I opened this Bible. And when I opened this Bible, this it somehow it all made sense. I had grown up going to Sunday school, which mm-hmm. everybody did in those days, but I couldn't find Christ in churchianity. It was like mm. I, I had lost who was Christ in this church. 
And it was there, just with the Bible, with God and I, that I came to know Jesus Christ in a real way. Oh, wow. So it wasn't the result of some ministry or something you heard on the radio? No, there was everything was in Japanese. There was nothing in English. Yeah. Yes. It was simply reading the Bible. And before I'd gone, a really good friend of mine knew that I was searching. Mm-hmm. And she gave me a copy of The Daily Bread. And she had said to me, take this and use it to help you understand the Bible. And she said, but before you do what it says each day, do what it says in the front. And I looked in the front, and there it said, before you begin your devotion, pray and ask God that he will open your eyes, that you will see great things from his word. Now, I didn't even know if there was a God, but I knew there was some higher power that put this beautiful world in place, Mm -hmm. but I didn't know who it was, and I certainly didn't know how whoever it was had put it in place, had revealed himself to mankind. And when I prayed, I didn't even know who I was praying to, but I prayed, open my eyes that I might see great things from your word. And I found Jesus when I opened that Bible. Wow, in a room by yourself in Japan. totally. Oh, wow. Totally, and I had no Christian fellowship for that whole year I was in Japan Mm. because I was in a very isolated little village, Mm -hmm. but it was God and I. Wow. And then you eventually returned to Australia? Yes, and then I came back to Australia, and uh, while I had been away, my parents had moved from country New South Wales to Coffs Harbour, Mm -hmm. and they had started going to a church over here, the uh, Coffs Harbour Methodist Church, Mm. and I went along with them on that Sunday morning, and I found a whole church full of people who had found this Jesus that I had found. But that night, I went along to an evening service, and that's where I met John. And within three days, he'd asked me to marry him. Three days? Yes, three days. And I said, no. I said, God has already planned out my life, and I know what I'm to do. I'm to study occupational therapy, and then I'm to go onto the mission field. And he said, well, you're a Christian, aren't you? You can't say no. You have to pray about it first. <laughs> so, so I was very flabbergasted, swept off my feet, whirlwind romance, and I realized this was the man that God had planned for me to marry. Oh, so you did pray about it. Oh, oh, I did pray about it, but he came back the next day to ask for my answer. Wow, he uh, he really was pursuing you. <laughs> he is uh, a man on the move, yes. So how did it go so fast? I mean, tell us what happened. Well, then um, we, well, we had to get to know each other. Yeah, that would um, probably be a good thing, yeah. <laughs> yes, well, that's right. We, we married uh, six months later, but before we married... Uh, I was nursing at the Coffs Harbour Hospital, Mm -hmm. and one night, John picked me up at 10 o'clock to take me home to my parents' place, and he said, oh, before I take you home, we just have to go down to one of the local beaches. Mm -hmm. He said, I saw a car hidden in the bushes down near one of the beaches today when I was at work. He said, I couldn't get down to see this bloke, and I really felt God wanted me to go and speak to him. So he said, let's go. And, mm. and I said, oh, no, I have an early shift tomorrow. I don't want to go. Take me home. He said, no, no, it won't take long. 
And, of course, love is blind. <laughs> uh, you learn that those sort of things aren't quite the truth as you uh, progress in life. But anyhow, down this little windy dirt road we went and there there was a car half pushed into a lantana bush and there was a man sitting beside a little fire cooking a fish. Now, he was very dishevelled, long hair, very a crazy look in his eye. Mm -hmm. And um, we pulled up next to him. This is 10.30 at night. Wow. And he jumped up and he said, uh, he said, what are you doing here? And John, chirpy, cheery little John said, oh, look, I'm John. This is my fiancée, Honey. I saw you today when I was up on the hill mowing. He said, um, I just wanted to come and say hello. And this fellow just sort of said, who sent you? very paranoid and John said to him God did and with that this fellow whose name was George jumped up and he started beating his fists on the roof of his car and he just screamed out into the darkness of the night why 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 now and with that we then were able to settle him down sit him back around the fire and uh, ask him what was going on in his life yeah. and he settled down and he admitted that that very night as soon as he had finished cooking that fish he was heading off to a nearby town called Bellingen he'd tracked down his wife who'd run away with a boyfriend and he was heading out there to murder them oh my goodness he had the machete in the car he was all psyched up to do it and God intervened by sending us along Wow. So there we were, sitting there at 11, 12 o'clock at night, wondering what are we going to do. We'd calmed him down and we'd uh, taken the machete away, but he was still very, very vulnerable. And we thought, what can we do? And John wasn't able to take him home to the place where he was living. And I said, well, I could take him home to my place, but you'll have to be up early to pick him up because my father will want to know what on earth this fellow is doing in the spare bedroom. Yeah, I would think and, so, yeah. Um, anyhow, that was where we saw then with this fellow, George, how these people who were, had been into drugs were really, really quite disturbed mm. and they needed time. And so we prayed about it. We said, God, what can we do? We can't just keep picking these people up, praying with them and putting them back on the road. And mm -hmm. that's when both of us felt that God spoke to each of us separately, but exactly the same thing, and said that we were to set up a place where people like George could come and have time to grow mentally, physically and spiritually. And hence the idea of a drug rehab center was that's birthed right. in your so mind. That was back in about September 71. Mm-hmm. We married in February 72, and we said, okay, God, let's do it. We're ready. We're married. Mm -hmm. And God knew that we were very, very unprepared. We were too wet behind the ears. We still didn't even know each other, let alone to be thrust into the middle of a ministry. So in God's wisdom, he took us to Western Australia, and there that vision that I had that I was to study occupational therapy was fulfilled mm -hmm. in that I was accepted into the university over there. Mm -hmm. And John was pastoring an Aboriginal church. And this was our preparation ground for the next, almost the next seven years. So that prepared you to be able to help people with drug yes. addictions. Well, that gave us a tremendous amount of um, academic preparation, mm -hmm. but also life experiences as well. 
Our guest today is Hani Reifler, who, along with her husband, John, are the founders of the Sherwood Christian Rehab Center near Coffs Harbor in New South Wales. Hani has written a book about the numerous miracles of God they've seen over the years. It's called Countless. And as we've been hearing, she has countless stories to tell. We'll hear more when we return right here on Real Faith. Looking for resources to grow your faith? Check out Vision Christian Store with books, movies, audio CDs, DVD resources and more. Plus, free delivery on orders over $50. See visionstore.org.au You're listening to Real Faith. Conversations with real people about how God works in their lives. If you want to know more about integrating faith into your life, our website is realfaith.org.au. Just go to the website and you'll find helpful articles about the impact faith can have on your life. Once again, that's realfaith.org.au. Welcome back. I'm Eric Scatto, and today I'm having a chat with Hani Reifler, who's the author of the book Countless, which is a collection of stories reflecting on the numerous miracles of God that have happened at their Sherwood Christian Rehab Center near Coffs Harbor in New South Wales. Before the break, we heard how Hani met and married her husband, John. Now we're going to hear the miraculous way their drug rehab center got its start. Then when it was God's time, he through a series of of Bible verses, God was pointing the direction that now was the time. Uh, we had been over to Coffs Harbour on a holiday, and um, while we were here, we looked around. John looked, went to a real estate agent and said, we want to buy a farm. And the real estate agent said, well, who's the we? And John said, well, God and I. <laughs> and this real estate agent thought he was a crazy loony you know, off the street. <laughs> But he'd found out John was from Switzerland, his parents were visiting, and the real estate agent said to John, well, how much money, what are you talking about? And he says, oh, money's no object, my father's a millionaire. And of course, he was talking about his heavenly father, (laughs) not his earthly father, but with that, the real estate agent decided to take him a little bit more seriously, listen to the story of the type of property he was after and that we were looking for. And the real estate agent said, well, I was drinking in the pub last night with a bloke. He was a bit under the weather, but he said, um, put my farm on the market. So the real estate agent said, I have a property that might be what you're looking for, Mm -hmm. isolated, no house on it, one entrance, all this. He said, "Uh, but I'm not sure if the fellow really wants to sell, but I'll get in touch in the cold light of dawn and he'd sobered up he said oh all right if you've got a buyer anyhow we came out looked at this property and we both felt this is where god was going to fulfill this vision that we'd had back in 71 but feelings are not enough we wanted a bit more specific than that so we put out a fleece before god in that we asked god to miraculously provide the deposit Mm -hmm. for the farm by the uh, one month that the real estate agent had given us. Mm -hmm. And within that month, exactly that amount of money had come in miraculously. Oh, wow. So on the basis of that, we put our house on the market in Perth and we were able to sell that. We had six months then to come up with the rest of the money. And right to the very last day of that six months, we sold our house and we made the exact amount of profit on the sale of the house 
to enable us to buy the land, the tractor, and to move us back from Western Australia back to New South Wales. Wow, so it was all happening, confirmation that God was behind what you were doing. Absolutely, and Mm -hmm. that's what we wanted. We wanted that confirmation because here we were going to a very isolated, rugged little bush block, no house, a four-month-old baby, no no nothing, no electricity, no running water, no nothing. And we wanted to know, is this where God wants us to be? And that was our confirmation of his miraculous provision of the land. Mm-hmm. So you wanted to start a drug rehab center? Yes. So, And I'd ask God, could we have six months to at least put roofs over our heads? Sounds reasonable. And we drove in the gate in an old school bus, and another couple had a caravan, and we drove in the gate with our very first alcoholic, and within the first week, we had the first heroin addict there. So the Lord was providing, unfortunately, people who were troubled yes, and addicted. That's right. The last thing we really needed in this very pioneering, rugged situation were people with mammoth, life-threatening problems. But God knew what he was doing. This was our preparation. Mm-hmm. And in it, we were to trust him totally, totally for everything, from mm. finances to run the place to wisdom to be able to know what to do, people to help us. Uh, it was to be a faith ministry mm-hmm. that would be a witness to an unbelieving world mm-hmm. and a doubting church that God is real and God is able. And within days of being there, John woke up one morning. No, ho- with ho- this, hold on a second. Yes? Did you have any place to sleep? We had the old school bus. That was it. And we had two sets of double-decker bunks in that, and we had two blokes on the second set of bunks and we were on the other set of bunks with the baby and the other couple had uh, a caravan that was it we had no flushing toilet we had just a pan behind a lantana bush we had no electricity apart from what we made with a generator we had no running water except for what was in the creek and we just set forth to to do all sorts of things we uh, dug a dam in the creek and we constructed a ledge on the cliff just behind us and we carried up a swimming pool and we pumped water up to the swimming pool and that uh, then the gravity fed down and we actually had water come out of a tap. So we had to, to do everything. Very basic. Oh, it was. It was basic, all right, wow. but it was fun. <laughs> and that's how the drug rehab centers started. That's how it began and it began with these troubled people. Mm-hmm. And then, within days, John had had this vision from God that we were to get railway carriages. and to Just out in. of the blue, he had this vision? Yeah, out vision. of the blue. He woke yeah. up one morning and he said, I've had this dream. He said, you stay here and pray. I'm going to Grafton to talk to the station master and about buying some railway carriages. So he, I can't say we prayed with very much... Uh, faith or enthusiasm we thought he was crazy (laughs) anyhow off he went to Grafton to uh, talk to the station master and the station master listened and sort of said I've worked for the railways for 30 years I've only sold tickets I don't sell railway carriages (laughs) and John said well this is what God told me and God doesn't lie Um, so the station master said well Look, I'll put you on to Clyde Wagon Works, where they make carriages in Sydney with the railways. Mm -hmm. And um, John got on the phone there, told this fellow his 
testimony of how he'd come to know Jesus and what Jesus was doing with his drug rehab. And the fellow at the other end said, stop, stop, that'll do. I've heard enough. He said, uh, how many carriages do you want? Wow. And John hadn't really thought how many he wanted because you don't normally buy railway carriages. <laughs> and he just said, oh, half a dozen. I think he thought he was buying eggs. <laughs> but anyhow, he said half a dozen. And the fellow said, right, first two will arrive in Glen Ray at the railway station next Saturday. And oh they'll cost goodness. you $100 each. $100 each? To pay for the transport. Well, that's next Anyhow, to nothing. We, we, he came back all excited about these carriages, and we were sort of excited, but we thought, well, God, where are we going to get $200 from? That was like $20,000 to us in those days. Yeah. We didn't have the money, so we started praying, mm-hmm. and we prayed and we prayed. We organized for a friend with a semi-trailer and a crane, uh, we had all that organized to pick up these carriages, mm-hmm. but we didn't have the money. And we get down there to the railway station thinking, oh, Lord, where's this $200? We've got to pay this up front. And we get there, and our local station master said, he said, look, I can't believe it. He said, these carriages came marked with your name. And he said, I looked inside. There was nothing inside. And John said, no, no, it's nothing inside. We're having the carriages. (laughs) And there was also a note that said, tell that funny pastor in the bush, this is to help the good work get started and free of charge. Oh, my goodness. So we ended up with eight of those goods vans over the next couple of months until finally we also ended up with two passenger wagons. And if you could see the road that comes into Sherwood Cliffs from Glen Ray. It's a dirt road, windy, narrow cuttings, uh, narrow one-lane wooden bridges. Yeah. Absolute miracle that these carriages came in, but God had given them to us, so he must be able to make a way to get them here, and he did. So you went from the bus to eight carriages? To the carriages, yes. We, we decked out uh, the goods vans as bedrooms for the men who were coming into mm-hmm. the program and the ladies and the passenger wagons. Uh, we, we used those as bedrooms, kitchens, and in between the two big passenger wagons, we put a dining room, uh, kitchen, and a big lounge room library upstairs. Now, one of the success stories, one of the many success stories, was a person who went on to become your son-in-law. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. So for us, uh, running a drug rehab means that people have to fulfill two criteria to come. Mm -hmm. One is they have to acknowledge that they have a problem. Mm -hmm. And number two, they have to want help for that problem. Mm -hmm. And usually most people who who get into the drug scene in Australia start with marijuana. Mm -hmm. Marijuana makes it very difficult to really ascertain where you're at in life. You, mm. you lose your perspective. So therefore, very few uh, addicts come into the program who are addicted to just marijuana. That's usually they've moved on to much heavier substances that have really caused all sorts of major health and legal and family mm-hmm. and mental health problems in their life. Mm-hmm. But in the case of Colin... Colin had grown up in a lovely Christian family. Uh, His grandfather actually had pastored the Coffs Harbour Baptist Church when we arrived here in Coffs. But um, Colin had chosen to go his own way in life at Mm -hmm. a very young age Mm -hmm. and had got 
very seriously into a lot of drug abuse. But miraculously, at 20, Colin discovered through the death of friends who were taking drugs, through the, the grief of his mother, a lot of things brought Colin to his knees. But it was a miracle because it's very unusual for somebody at that age to really ascertain Number one, do they have a problem? Mm -hmm. It's everybody else's problem, not theirs, I think. And number two, to want help for that problem. Well, Colin came in at 20. He'd reached the end of his limit. He'd seen friends die. He himself should have been dead, but miraculously God had spared him, and he saw that he had a problem and wanted help. So he came into the program probably 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. And um, while he was there... He was all of 20 years of age. Um, He met our daughter, who was all of about 17, I think, at that stage. Mm -hmm. And, of course, we don't encourage relationships in any shape or form during somebody's uh, life where they're in such a mess. Mm -hmm. But uh, God knew what he was doing, and these two, eventually, God did bring them together. They married, and they actually now run Sherwood Cliffs, and we've retired from the leadership of it. Oh, my goodness. And they've been on staff probably 12 years, I think, now. Yeah. Yes. So he kind of has gone back to his heritage, his Christian heritage. Well, he has, well and truly, yes. And uh, Chantal has grown up in in a drug rehab, so she's seen it from the other Mm -hmm. side. And thankfully, she didn't get into the drugs herself. Mm -hmm. So, again, they bring uh, experience as well as the uh, academic preparation for this leadership. Okay, and so they didn't go right into that role. They had gone away for a while, is that right? Yes, that's right. They, uh, uh, Colin did a university degree in teaching, and uh, Chantal did nursing. So they had a lot of preparation. Mm-hmm. They were very involved with refugees in Coffs Harbour, with the Christian surfers. They went over to Western Australia for a while, and then God brought them back here to Coffs Harbour. And then he spoke to them both about uh, coming out to work at Sherwood, and they thought they were just coming for maybe a couple of years. Mm -hmm. But here they are 12 years later and now running the work. Oh, wow. Yes. So it's kind of come full circle, in a sense. It certainly has. It's wonderful. Fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. And thank you, Eric, for uh, interviewing me. And I just pray that if there's anybody out there who feels hopeless and helpless in this whole drug scene, don't give up. There's a God there who loves you. Just call out to him, and he inclines his ear to hear. Amen. Our guest today has been Hani Reifler, who has been sharing her amazing life story. Hani, along with her husband, John, are the founders of the Sherwood Christian Rehab Center near Coffs Harbor in New South Wales. Hani has written a book about the numerous miracles of God they have seen over the years called Countless. And if you'd like to learn more about their drug rehab center or the book, you can go to their website, sherwoodcliffs.com.au. That's sherwoodcliffs.com.au. Well, next time, it's John's turn to share his incredible stories, including how he became a Christian and about some of the people who've been impacted by their drug rehab center. That's all coming up next time right here on Real Faith. You've been listening to Real Faith. And if you have any questions or comments, you can send us a message through our website, realfaith.org.au. That's realfaith.org.au.
This program is a production of Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, see vision.org.au.